0: Chapter 10 of An Essay on the Trial by Jury This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Read by Beth Ann Trial by Jury by Lysander Spooner Chapter 10 Moral Considerations for Jurors the trial by a jury must, if possible, be construed to be such that a man can rightfully sit in a jury and unite with his fellows in giving judgment. But no man can rightfully do this unless he holds in his own hand alone a veto upon any judgment or sentence whatever to be rendered by the jury against a defendant, which veto he must be permitted to use, according to his own discretion and conscience and not bound to use according to the dictation of either legislatures or judges the prevalent idea that a juror may at the mere dictation of a legislature or judge and without the concurrence of his own conscience or understanding declare a man guilty and thus in effect license the government to punish him and that the legislature or the judge and not himself has in that case all the moral responsibility for the correctness of the principles on which the judgment was rendered, is one of the many gross impostures by which it could hardly have been supposed that any sane man could ever have been deluded, but which governments have nevertheless succeeded in inducing the people at large to receive and act upon. As a moral proposition, it is perfectly self-evident that, unless juries have all the legal rights that have been claimed for them in the preceding chapters, that is, the rights of judging what the law is, whether the law be a just one, what evidence is admissible, and what weight the evidence is entitled to, whether an act were done with a criminal intent, and the right also to limit the sentence, free of all dictation from any quarter, They have no moral right to sit on the trial at all, and cannot do so without making themselves accomplices in any injustice that they may have reason to believe may result from their verdict. It is absurd to say that they have no moral responsibility for the use that may be made of their verdict by the government when they have reason to suppose it will be used for purposes of injustice. It is, for instance, manifestly absurd to say that jurors have no moral responsibility for the enforcement of an unjust law when they consent to render a verdict of guilty for the transgression of it, which verdict they know, or have good reason to believe, will be used by the government as a justification for inflicting a penalty. It is absurd, also, to say that jurors have no moral responsibility for a punishment inflicted upon a man against law, when at the dictation of a judge as to what the law is, they have consented to render a verdict against their own opinions of the law. It is absurd, too, to say that jurors have no moral responsibility for the conviction and punishment of an innocent man when they consent to render a verdict against him on the strength of evidence or laws of evidence dictated to them by the court if any evidence or laws of evidence have been excluded, which they, the jurors, think ought to have been omitted in his defense. It is absurd to say that jurors have no moral responsibility for rendering a verdict of guilty against a man for an act which he did not know to be a crime, and in the commission of which, therefore, he could have had no criminal intent, in obedience to the instructions of courts, that ignorance of the law that is, of crime, excuses no one. It is absurd, also, to say that jurors have no moral responsibility for any cruel or unreasonable sentence that may be inflicted even upon a guilty man, when they consent to render a verdict which they have reason to believe will be used by the government as a justification for the infliction of such sentence. The consequence is that jurors must have the whole case in their hands and judge of law, evidence, and sentence, or they incur the moral responsibility of accomplices in any injustice which they have reason to believe will be done by the government on the authority of their verdict. The same principles apply to civil cases as to criminal. If a jury consent at the dictation of the court, as to either law or evidence to render a verdict, on the strength of which they have reason to believe that a man's property will be taken from him and given to another, against their own notions of justice, they make themselves morally responsible for the wrong. Every man, therefore, ought to refuse to sit in a jury and to take the oath of a juror, Unless the form of the oath be such as to allow him to use his own judgment on every part of the case, free of all dictation whatsoever, and to hold in his own hand a veto upon any verdict that can be rendered against a defendant, and any sentence that can be inflicted upon him, even if he be guilty. Of course, no man can rightfully take an oath as juror to try a case according to law, if by law be meant anything other than his own ideas of justice, nor according to the law and the evidence, as they shall be given him. Nor can he rightfully take an oath even to try a case according to the evidence, because in all cases he may have good reason to believe that a party has been unable to produce all the evidence legitimately entitled to be received. The only oath which it would seem that a man can rightfully take as a juror in either a civil or criminal case is that he will try the case according to his conscience. Of course, the form may admit of variation, but this should be the substance. Such, we have seen, were the ancient common law oaths. End of chapter 10